My name is Derek Duvall, and I'm the lead pastor of Awakened City Church in Harriman, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City. And I want to thank you for checking us out. Awakened City exists to connect people from all walks of life with the hope that's found in Jesus. And we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more information, you can visit awakenslc.com. So human beings have a remarkably high capacity for foolishness. Once a friend and I, we were cleaning out an old shed on his new property, and we decided that we were just going to burn a bunch of the scrap wood that he had been storing there, right? And so because he couldn't get the fire going on a consistent basis, his solution, like most men, was let's throw some gas on it. But his solution was that he was going to pour the gas directly out of his five-gallon gas can directly onto the fire. Now, as the fire raced up that stream of gas, luckily it melted, that spout closed, and so the whole thing didn't explode in his hand. Or there's the story of the two truck drivers who stopped before their low-hanging overpass, trying to decide if their 18-wheeler was going to fit. Well, the driver pointed out, hey, the sign right there says clearance 13 feet, 1 inch. And they knew that their truck required 14 feet. Well, his colleague sitting next to him had the great observation that since there weren't any cops around whatsoever, that they should just back up, get a running start, and go for it. Well, it didn't end up too well for themselves or their truck. Now, the only way for us to top this kind of folly is to attempt to finish the Christian life in our own strength. See, the Christians in Galatia, they're trying to do this exact foolish thing, and Paul is beside himself. He can't believe it. He thinks even that there's some devilry at work here, prompting such madness, and Paul lets loose and peppers them with a string of rhetorical questions. Now, if you've got a Bible, we're in Galatians 3, and this is where we come to our text this morning. We're going to start here in verse 1. So Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For it was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, if you've been following along with us, you know through the book of Galatians, you know that this is not Paul's first rebuke of the people there. Uh, And if you haven't been following along, if you're just checking this whole thing out, there's a link down below this video that has all the other stuff that we've been doing with the book of Galatians. See, the Galatians are trying to do the unthinkable. They're contemplating circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant made between God and Abraham way back when in Genesis 12. But the heart of the matter is they are trying to finish the Christian race by their own flesh, by their own strength, trying to follow the law, trying to follow a laundry list of do's and don'ts rather than following the Spirit. And ultimately, they've become convinced that circumcision was the key to finishing the race, to crossing the finish line, to finding success with God on the last day. 
And they've been told by some agitators that have came in to into their midst that no matter how well they started, that they couldn't find success at the finish without undergoing circumcision. Or, to put it in more theological terms, even though they started their spiritual journey through faith, the Galatians had become convinced that they needed circumcision, that they needed to pitch in with their own actions in order to be saved. And evidently, some of the Galatians were actually buying it. And Paul, he is distraught over his wayward flock. He calls them fools. He says, you idiots! which really kind of sounds like me watching people drive every day on my way home, right? So the, before the behavior of the Galatians, they are being foolish. Their foolishness implies nothing less than a departure from the true gospel. And if it's a departure from the true gospel, it actually jeopardizes their entire future because they can't finish the race. If they don't finish the race by grace alone, then they can't possibly receive the prize. It's just that simple. See, Jesus plus anything else, you've heard us say this many times over, Jesus plus anything else does not equal salvation. And the Galatians, they're trying to add and do whatever they can. And if they add even one thing, they are then leaving Christ altogether. You heard this same thing from Derek last week when he was talking through Galatians 2, verse 21. For Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And if you're trying with your own good deeds to then like try to get yourself up and over the hump into heaven, then Jesus' death is of no value to you. You have left him. And on that day of judgment, you will be left utterly exposed. And Jesus will be no help to you on that day. So Paul's response to this foolishness is to plead with the Galatians not to look to the law or to good works, but instead to stick with relying on the Spirit. For if they want to finish their race, they need to rely on the Spirit's empowering presence. The the Spirit alone is able to grant them to help them find success in the race. And so the question for the Galatians then is also a, a real crucial one for me and you. For how do we then promote the presence of the Spirit? Or more accurately, what does it mean that God pours the Spirit into our lives? For verse 5, he says, Paul says God is the one who supplies the Spirit to you. And so our question is, then how? How does this work? And this section here of Galatians is designed to answer that question and getting the Galatians and us back on track to finish the race by the Spirit, not relying on our own good works in the flesh. And Paul gives us three ways. And the first is this, that God supplies the Spirit through the cross of Christ. Paul says God supplies the Spirit through the cross of Christ. For Paul points the Galatians to the key issue. Before he gets there, he wants to take them back of remembering how they began their life in the Spirit. He wants to remind them of something that they saw that we see there in verse 1. 
For it was before your eyes that Christ, Jesus Christ, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul wants them to recall how he physically embodied the cross of Christ. For in Paul, the Galatians saw the crucified Christ in the crucified Paul. Not only in Paul's submission to the call of God on his life, but also in the physical scars and the hardships that his body would have worn from all of the numerous beatings and stonings and the consistent persecution that he faced. For Paul reminds them to reinforce the fact that the Spirit comes only through the cross of Christ. That God only supplies us with the Spirit if our sins have been forgiven because of the death of Jesus Christ. For unless our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit cannot enter into our lives. Apart from having our sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit will ultimately destroy us. He's not going to come and cleanse us, empower us, or sanctify us, but His presence would blow us away with His holiness. And Paul's point is that the Spirit never does an end around the cross. It is with it all begins with the forgiveness of sins that God accomplished in the death of Jesus. This is the door which with the Spirit travels. This is the door that is opened by the death of Christ. And this is something that we must return to again and again as we continue to struggle with sin in our daily lives. For while the true believer cannot lose his union, with the Spirit, he can interrupt his communion with the Spirit. And habitual or unrepentant sin is a great disruption to our communion with God. It's like unplugging the cord on the computer. Sin cuts us off from the source of power. Paul's second way here is that God supplies the Spirit in response to the hearing of faith. God supplies the Spirit in response to the hearing of faith. So if the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of sin is the door that God opens to enter into our sinful lives, then what's the door that we open to allow God to then enter in? Well, Paul points the way with a very rhetorical question intended right to cut to the chase. For he says in verse 2 there, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? For if they would simply remember, the Galatians knew that they didn't receive the Spirit by getting circumcised or by doing any works of the law. The Spirit came upon them, as Paul says, not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. Now, friend, your good works won't save you either. It is only in faith that Jesus is enough that the Spirit will come. And that Spirit doesn't just come one time. It's not a one-time thing. For Paul then adds that the Spirit continues to come into our lives in response to that same uh, responsive faith. Again, verse 5 there, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you so that you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. God wants to pour His Spirit 
into our lives, and He will do so when we are responsive to the word of the gospel. And we must recognize that there are two ways in which we could hear. Uh, we either hear it with our ear, and there's also hearing by faith. And it is this latter hearing that opens the door to the Spirit's presence. See, religious activities in among themselves, they do not bring the presence of the Spirit. We can engage in all kinds of church or religious activities, but if the hearing of faith isn't undergirding us, isn't holding us up, then all we have is a whole bunch of activities. And we may be busy, but we'll lack the empowering presence of the Spirit. And obviously, right now, there isn't a lot of church activities going on that we can be a part of. So let me ask you this. So how has the lack of religious activities affected your spiritual life? What is the lack of uh, this, this doing things for God? If that's not there, how does that, what does that reveal to you about how you interact with God? And how will you then move past this notion that I have to do enough to have God love me more or to get me over the hump? How can we move past that to come to this place that I just want to be with God? And if that's our heart cry, just to be with God, if we desire the Holy Spirit's presence, then we need to be Bible-driven people in our approach to ministry and to life. For if we long to have the Lord speak to us, He, he has. He has right here, right here in the Bible. And this desire ought to motivate us to give us top priority to the Bible in everything we do. One guy I read, he said it really well. He said, God the Father loves to honor God the Son by supplying us with God the Spirit in response to our responsiveness to His Word. And as we've seen, the cross of Christ and the hearing of faith are two doors through which God's Spirit can travel in order to enter into our lives. But there's also a third way in which God supplies His Spirit to us, and that's in the midst of suffering. That's in the midst of suffering. For did you notice there in verse 4, Paul's kind of curious mention of the Galatians suffering? Verse 4 again, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, why would Paul want to remind them of their suffering at this point? Why would he want to warn them that their suffering is going to waste if they don't continue down this path that they're on? See, Paul wants them to realize that it is God, when he supplies his spirit, he will do so generously in times of great difficulty. And the relations need to remember that when they came to Christ, they also had various challenges and hardships because of their new faith. And they should recall that God wasn't hindered by this. God's not hindered by hard things. But instead, He was able to move forth through His Spirit in power and in great ways. And this truth is very poignant for us. Uh, right now in our lives today. See, God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten you. 
COVID-19 was not a surprise to God. And that, I, I, I long and I trust so much that God is going to use this season in some phenomenal ways that I have no clue how it is because Kyle is not God. Only God is God and he knows all things. And the scriptures are very clear that he is going to do something great in us and through us, even in the midst of this hard season. Now, of course, it's very tempting for us to want to say, okay, if I want the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of my life, I've got to clean this thing up. I've got to fix some things to be able to to be uh, good enough for the Spirit to come. But the experience of countless Christians points to a very different direction. In fact, many seasoned believers would tell you that they experience greater or even sweeter supplies of God's Spirit when they are in the midst of suffering. And this was certainly what Paul's experience, for even in a time of great trial, Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. God loves to show forth his power in the midst of our weaknesses. Suffering is thus not a hindrance to us experience more of God. Rather, it's actually the ideal situation for it makes us long for him more. It makes us lean on him more to receive a fresh empowerment from on high. So don't begrudge this season. Don't begrudge the difficulties of life when they come. Instead, let's view them as God's loving design for us to give us more of himself through the Holy Spirit. The best thing that God could give you, the best thing that God could give you is not a vaccine. The best thing that God could give you is not more money. The best thing that God could give you would be more of himself. And if we come to this place where we can then embrace suffering, we can then see it as this God-giving opportunity for us to experience more and more of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's faithfulness, of God's uh, generosity towards us. And such opportunities are the very things that we need for us to keep moving us towards the finish line, relying on Jesus' work alone. Now, of course, it's a whole lot easier for me to say right here on uh, video than to actually go and do. But if we live by faith in Jesus alone as our only hope in the midst of our hardships, we will find that God will be pleased to supply us with an abundance of his spirit. And ultimately, we will find Christ living in us in some phenomenal ways. So as we wrap up, just what what challenges are you facing right now? Today, this morning, whenever you hear this, where do you need the empowering work of the Spirit? And how will you find the strength and find uh, the will through the Spirit, only through the Spirit, to get you to a place where we're you need to be. Again, it is God who supplies the Spirit, and He does so through the cross in response to hearing by faith and in the midst of our suffering. 
as Christians, especially right now in a very uncertain time, we need a fresh supply of the Spirit every single day. And some of us have been trying to do this thing called life in our own strength. And that's why we find ourselves so wore out. We find life so tedious because we're trying to live for God without the empowering presence of God. And that simply won't work. And so let us then go back. Let us then look back to the completed, finished work of Christ on the cross. Let us come back to His Word, the Bible, and let us not begrudge the suffering that God brings our way. For it is these things, these are the very means of which God supplies His Spirit to us. And this is what we need to keep running this good race of faith. Let me pray for you. So Jesus, would you come? Spirit, would you move in our hearts? Would you move in our lives in great ways? Would you supply us with peace, with love? Would you supply us with an identity and a standing that is only in Jesus and Jesus alone? Spirit, would you reassure us in phenomenal ways that you have not forgotten us, you have not forgotten our hardships, you have not forgotten these sufferings. Reassure us of your presence. We love you and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your word. Do great things in and through us, all for the praise and glory of the name of Jesus Christ above all things. We pray, amen.